I'm so thankful for a, not only a God who heals, a God who saves and restores, but I'm thankful to be a part of the body of Christ this morning. I'm thankful for each and every one of you that have decided and chosen to be in God's house. Can you give yourself a hand clap this morning? If you are a guest here at West Monroe, if you're joining us in person for the first time or the second time, or if you are joining us online this morning, we greet you and we thank you so much for giving us the honor to host you this morning. And so we just want to give you a shout of love this morning. This is a place where you can belong, you can feel loved, you can find purpose in Jesus. Amen. There is something valuable about deciding to come into the house of the Lord. There is something of value that sometimes can be immeasurable. When you decide and you make it up in your heart that I am going to make it to the house of God, no matter how I feel, no matter if I have a neck brace on, Sister Vance, (laughs) no matter what my life is thrown my way, I'm going to make it a point to be in God's house. And so thank you so much for being here. I do wanna give a special shout out to all of, all of our uh, leaders and partners of NextGen who served last weekend at our kids' revival. We had a wonderful time. Yes. Thank you so much for being here. There is, uh, we have a, a lot of valuable assets in the room this morning from our teachers to our, our leaders, our partners, people who volunteer their time, their money, Uh, Those of you who donated for Pumpkins in the Park, we had a wonderful time. So thank you so much. Your efforts do not go unnoticed, and you have impact and you have value in the kingdom of God. And we've got some great students. We've got some great people of God. Uh, Parents, I want to thank you especially for deciding to bring your kids into the house of the Lord on nights where maybe it's inconvenient, on mornings when it's inconvenient, There is immeasurable value in bringing your children into the house of the Lord. There is value that is beyond our understanding and comprehension, something that cannot be quantified. But there is value and there is long-term reward in what you do. So thank you so much. In that same vein this morning, I want to talk for a little bit about value. Everyone say value. Value is something that is held to deserve regard, or it's something that's important, or something that is worth a certain thing. It's usefulness of something. And value can be determined in many different ways. Like I said, it's valuable to bring your children into the house of the Lord. Value can be determined in a variety of ways. For example, we live in a society that is largely ruled by monetary value. It's ruled by money and possessions and materials. It's ruled by capital. And and each one of us are somewhat given a value, a sense of value in our society based off the things that we have. In most Western countries and other democratic countries, the estimate for value of a statistical life, listen to this, the estimate for a, a, a typical life, the dollar value given is between $1 million to $10 million in most Western economic countries. There's a website called lifehappens.org that you can go to. I went to it last night, and I typed in some, some statistics about myself and some, some income things about myself to try to get an idea of what my human life value is worth. And it told me that I was worth about $3.5 million. Now, I wish that was my net worth, 
But in a, in a society that we live in, unfortunately, a lot of times we can be given a number. We are assigned a number of what we are worth, what we are valued at. Our economic system is something that also estimates the value of our labor. How many of you got a job in the house this morning? Your, your labor is estimated on a yearly basis as to what you produce with your labor. It's called the gross domestic product or the GDP, which measures the value of goods and services that we produce in our nation in a given year. And in 2021, the United States GDP was $23 trillion. But there is a flaw in, in trying to find the value of life. There is a flaw in trying to find the value of what somebody contributes. For example, if you, if you are a stay-at-home mom in the room this morning, one economist estimated the dollar value of the work that stay-at-home moms do is valued at $113,000 a year. Now, I know a lot of moms who put in a lot more work that is worth more than $113,000 a year. Amen? But the year-in GDP numbers values a stay-at-home mom's work at zero because her efforts weren't traded in the marketplace and they weren't assigned an economic value. So there's some, there's some flaws. We can say, well, just because I don't have a job and I'm not contributing doesn't mean that I'm not worth anything. I'm not valuable. Whereas we all know that a stay-at-home mom is extremely valuable. Some would say priceless, immeasurable value. And we live in a world that loves to place a value on who we are and what we do according to their standards. We live in a material world that wants to tell you what fruits to produce and tell you how valuable you are or you are not based on those fruits. We live in a world that devalues life more and more every day. People are reduced to statistics and profit margins. Relationships are reduced to material consumption. An intrinsically valuable life is discarded for convenience. And there are some who may be non-believers that demonstrate their belief that you are not valuable because you are here on earth just by happenstance. They may not tell you that, but their lack of faith demonstrates that you are just here by happenstance. And the only reason you're here is because of random natural processes with no moral guidance no justification or purpose for your existence. But this morning, on this Sunday morning, I am here to tell you that you have purpose and that you have value. Everyone say, I have value. Psalms chapter 139 and verse 13 says, for you formed in my inward parts, you covered me in my mother's womb, and I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 29 says, Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will, but the very hairs on your head are numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are more value than many sparrows. Say, I have value. 
Today, I want to preach to you that you still have value. You still have value. Tell your neighbor next to you, you still have value. Amen. Let us bow our heads. We're going to pray over the rest of this message. Lord, we thank you this morning for the privilege and the opportunity to be gathered here with like-minded believers in the body of Christ. Lord, we thank you for the grace and the mercies that are new every morning that has allowed us to be in this building for the hedge of protection that you've placed over us. God, I pray this morning as we understand and we hear and we read your word, God, that you would open our hearts, that you would open our minds to understand the things that you have planned for us, to understand that we have purpose, that we have value, and that you have a plan for us because your plans toward us are plans for prosperity. And so we give you all the praise, we give you all the thanks, and Lord, move in a mighty way this morning in our hearts and in our minds. We thank you this morning and we give you all the praise. And everyone said, in Jesus' name, amen. This morning I've got some helpers here that are setting up a little illustration table for me. And I brought some of my, uh, some of my favorite personal belongings that I find to be very valuable, okay? And so if you guys are okay with it, this morning in Sunday school, in kids' class, we had uh, some props. We had some illustrations. So is it okay if I, if I share some of my personal things with y'all? Is that all right? So this morning, I want to talk about some things that I find very valuable that maybe other people don't. And so here this morning, I have an 1890s copy of The Pilgrim's Progress. It's a very, very, very impactful book. It's inspired Christian authors all across the globe. It's inspired people like C.S. Lewis, Tolkien. It's inspired so many different authors and is a, it's just an amazing book. And it's, I mean, look at this, it's beautiful. It's, it's illustrated on the front with, with gorgeous illustrations and drawings. And it is, we don't have anybody that was born in 1890, do we? Okay, just making sure. So this is older than all of us, okay? This is something that I just, I find so, so fascinating and beautiful. And I wanted to show it to you this morning. I've also got another book, um, one of my older books as well. It's called Edison and His Inventions. How many of you are thankful for Edison this morning? Just look up and, and, and uh, be thankful for the lights that are above your head. This book um, I found probably about four years ago um, I believe this book was published around 1904. It's kind of falling apart, um, but it's got the kind of the Art Deco font. Um, it's, it's got some wear and tear on it, but I just, I just find it so fascinating and valuable. A couple other things we can look at here. I've got a 1952 Royal Quiet Deluxe typewriter. Now, I know some of you probably have some experience with these. This typewriter uh, I purchased from an estate sale of a man named Charles Robinson, who was a World War II veteran. And he actually, this is his name typed out that he left in his, uh, in his carrying case for this. Something that I find so, so valuable because it has a story. This man was a World War II veteran and likely could have pressed the keys of this typewriter and written letters after the war to his family, to his children, to his friends, perhaps sharing his experiences, perhaps not, but if these, if these letters and these pages could tell a story of the people that held them, of the people and the experiences that lived through these 
communication tools? What would they say? We can go on over here and see, I have an Edison gold molded record, which is kind of the precursor to a vinyl record. This little guy here. Anybody ever use one of these? Brother Baker, all right. This is the precursor to a vinyl record, and you would stick this in a, in a little wheel, and it would spin, and it would, it would play music. This one's from 1916, uh, and the song is called Down Where the Swanee River Flows. Now, I listened to that the other day. I don't know if we'll be doing it at church anytime soon, but it's, uh, it's an interesting tune. Um, and this was, uh, this was patented in 1904. This record is from 1916, so some old... Very, very valuable things to me. We can move down the line here, and I've got a couple of records. Now, how many of you are ready for Christmas? Anybody? Has anybody started listening to Christmas music yet? We got it. Okay, all right. This, okay, this is the greatest Christmas album of all time. Nat King Cole, The Christmas Song. Can I get an amen? It's not Mariah Carey. It's not Pentatonix or whomever. It's not Tony Bennett. I, it's right here. Nat King Cole. Greatest. I got this out of my storage unit yesterday and told my family Christmas has been saved because <laughs> I found the record. It's been in storage for a few months. This is one of my favorite records. It has so much value to me, and it's so wonderful. Another record maybe some of you are familiar with, The Best of Andre Crouch and the Disciples. Anybody? Yeah, she, there you go. She had it when it came out. Sister Christy Wright's got that one. Wow, what a great album, right? These are, these are both just albums that I can listen to over and over again, and it never gets old. We can move down the line here and find a couple of VHS tapes. Prince of Egypt? Come on now. Prince of Egypt on VHS? What, what year was this? You know, mid-90s something, probably about that. And then I got, how about Free Willy? Anybody like Free Willy? Where's Tatum? There he is. These are all items that I find just so fascinating and valuable. I'm not going to prop it up in case it falls down. I don't want to scare you all in the middle of my, my sermon here. These are things that I love. Now, if, if it was up to me, my house would be just loaded with things like this. But unfortunately, my wife also likes to decorate the house. And I don't know that she wants the best of Andre Crouch over the fireplace or, you know, I don't know that she wants Free Willy VHS uh, on a floating shelf. But I love this stuff. It's, it's, it's just, it's so valuable to me. But the funny thing is about all these things is what's the common theme here? All of these things are pretty outdated. All of these things are really no longer in use. We still have books, but books have changed. I mean, you can get your book right here if you want it. And so all of, these, all of these things are, we would say, outdated. They no longer have use. In fact, everything that you see here, I purchased for less than $20. Now, that did take some skill because I, I have an eye for these things. But these VHS tapes, I got them for 50 cents. These records I got for a dollar. This typewriter I got for $5. And the book's probably 5 to $10. But my point is, is there's a difference between value and worth. Because worth implies that there is a cost associated with it. 
So to the people that had these, they weren't worth very much. They didn't have value, so they were willing to let them go at a certain price. Whereas to me, if you said, Brother Jacob, I'll tell you what, I'll take this royal typewriter and I'll double it. I'll give you 10 bucks for it. No way. I wouldn't sell this to you for $100 because it has very, very important value to me. It is worth more than what I paid for it. It had a cost associated with it that I thought I would pay the cost for that because it has value to me. And so this morning we're talking about value. And we're going to talk about two instances in the Bible where we can look at how value is analyzed. And the first person we're going to look at in the Bible is Sarah. Everyone say Sarah. Now, before Sarah was called Sarah, she was called Sarai. Her name had changed. And so we're going to look at Sarai and we're going to look at the value of Sarai. In Genesis chapter 12 and verse 2, the Lord tells Abraham, her husband, he says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your descendants, I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And so God makes a promise to Abram that he would have a son, a child to become his heir, and that Abram would be the father of as many descendants as there are stars. And so we can go on and read in the story that Abram and his wife, Sarai, spend many years trying to conceive a son but are unsuccessful. And so Sarah begins to doubt the promise of God because of her old age and her barrenness. And after all these years of faithfulness to God and faithfulness to his word, doubt begins to creep into the mind of Sarai and she no longer feels that she is valuable enough to be the vessel that God would fulfill his promise through. And so Sarai was focused on what she couldn't do rather than being focused on what God could do. Now, I've been there before. I've been in a place where I was so caught up in what I was not able to do that I did not allow God to do what only he could do. And Sarai was in the same place. And so in her state of not feeling valuable, she passes the promise to somebody else. Hagar. Hagar was her maid servant. The barrenness of her past led her to feel worthless and not valuable, and she took matters into her own hands instead of just waiting on the promise. And so she tells Abraham to conceive a child with Hagar, her maidservant, so that the promise of a son would be fulfilled. But as we know, if we continue reading, God did not honor this, nor did he bless their son Ishmael as Abraham's true heir. And so Sarai let her value be determined by what humanity said was possible, not by what God had promised to happen. <coughs> Pardon me this morning. Sarah did not let her value be determined by the Lord. This morning, I want to tell you let your value be determined by the one who holds all things together. 
Don't let your value be determined by your past, your spiritual barrenness, or what other people say about you. Let your value be determined by the promise keeper. This morning, in in today's age, it's time that we stop letting our environment determine our value. Remaining in environments, listen to this, remaining in environments where people don't recognize your God-given value is dangerous because your potential will be diminished to the size of their expectations. Don't remain in an environment where people do not recognize who you are in Christ because their expectations will determine your potential. But when you step into God-sized expectations and understand that in him I live, I move, I have my being, and that my value is not predicated on my past or my present circumstances, but rather my value is determined by the fact that I'm made in his likeness, created in the image of God, purchased with the blood of the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world adopted as a son and a daughter of Jesus Christ to himself, an heir to an inheritance of his kingdom, only then will you realize that you still have value. And when people don't see your value, hear me on this, when people don't see your value, it's not because you aren't good enough. It's because they aren't for you. God is for you. And that's all that matters at the end of the day. Don't let people tell you that you aren't good enough because if they're telling you that, they are not for you. The one who gives you value is the one who is for you. And that is Jesus Christ, our creator. God is for you this morning. Ezekiel 36 and verse nine says that, for I am indeed for you and I will turn to you and you shall be tilled and sown. God is for us. Psalm 118 verse six says, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? What can man do to me? This morning, you still have value. Tell your neighbor, you still have value. These things to my right here this morning, they have value to me. Now, I'm a child of the digital age but I'm, a, I'm an immigrant to the analog age, as somebody said. These things have value to me. These things, I find that they have worth because I am willing to pay a certain price for them. They have value in my life. And only I can determine that value. The person who owns it or made it, that is the one who determines the value. And so this morning, I want to continue on and talk about Samuel. Everyone say Samuel. Samuel was a gift from God to his mother, Hannah. As Hannah had prayed for many years for a child, she had consecrated. She was in the temple praying, God, give me a child. She was childless for the majority of her adulthood, just like Sarah. And after fervently praying in the temple, the prophet Eli tells her that God will grant her her request of a child. And so she had Samuel and made a sacrifice before God for Samuel's sake. God gave her her promised child. 
And later on, she ends up putting Samuel in the care and the teaching of the prophet Eli. And Samuel lives and serves in the temple daily. And at the age of 11 years old, Samuel heard the, vo- the voice of the Lord for the first time. In the middle of the night, the Lord calls out to Samuel three times. And Samuel, thinking that it was Eli, his mentor, he runs to Eli And Eli told Samuel, the Lord was calling him. It wasn't me that was calling you. It was the Lord that was calling you. And so the fourth time he heard his name being called, Samuel, Samuel. And in 1 Samuel 3, verse 10, Samuel replies and says, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. And from then on out, Samuel would become one of the most renowned prophets in Israel. And as he delivered the message and the judgment of God, while also becoming one of the primary leaders of the Israelites as they warred against the Philistines. And so Israel then begins to think that it's important to appoint a king. And so Samuel sought God about this decision and prayed for God to send the right person. So Samuel, this promised child who hears the voice of the Lord, who responds to the voice of the Lord, who carries out judgment and who carries out messages is elevated to a place of importance and it's now his task to appoint a king for Israel. Samuel felt blessed to be the one to appoint and to anoint a king for Israel. God was using him. And at this point, this was the pinnacle of Samuel's calling so far to his life. This was the pinnacle of his ministry. Imagine the pride that he had to have felt, a newly anointed king. He had answered the call for a king from the Israelites. Israel was centralized and it had an anointed king and things were going great. But what happens is the king, Saul, he begins to let his newfound power and authority as the king take control and take advantage of his life. And Saul begins to disobey Samuel. In one instance in the Bible, Samuel was instructed, or Saul had instructed Samuel to wait on an offering, on a sacrifice, until he was able to join the army in battle. But Saul, because Samuel wasn't exactly on time, said, well, he's not here, so let's do it anyway. Saul had disobeyed the word of the Lord and the word of Samuel. And so God did not honor the kingship of Saul because of his disobedience. And Samuel says to Saul, you have chosen to reject God. Think about our life. Think about your life. Have you ever been a Saul? You've been put in a position to succeed, but disobedience. And doing things the way that I think they should be done leads us, leads us to, cho- to choose to reject God. And so Samuel, he, he's, he's devastated by this. Samuel had developed a, a father-son relationship with Saul. And Samuel is devastated by this, about the failures and about the time and the effort that he had invested in his success. He felt that he had failed Saul and he had failed God. In 1 Samuel 15 and verse 35 says, Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul. 
And the Lord repented that he had made Saul over the king over Israel. And so the highlight of his career, all he had worked for, all the plans that he had made, all the hope that he had put into Saul as king, his appointed king, his anointed king, all gone. Everything he had worked for, the years of ministry that he put in, all gone for nothing. Samuel, 1 Samuel 16, 1 says, And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long will you mourn for? How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing that I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? How long are you going to mourn over this? How long are you going to let your failures prevent you from continuing to do my work? How long are you going to let your past mistakes determine your future actions? We can understand that, that, that Samuel had mourned for over 10 years and we can find no record, there's no recorded um, actions between chapter 15 and 16 of Samuel doing anything as a prophet of God. He mourned for 10 years over the mistakes and the failures that he had made. And God says, how long will you mourn? You see, depression can affect our ability to serve the Lord, and depression can, can occur when we lose our value in God. When we no longer understand that in spite of our mistakes, we are still valuable, that is when God is calling us back and saying, how long will you mourn? We cannot let our, our mistakes and our failures determine our value because we don't determine that. God determines that. And continuing in 1 Samuel 16, in verse 1, it says, Fill thine horn with oil and go. I will send thee to, to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. And Samuel says, How can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. And so Samuel had been so far removed from God's voice by his mourning, by his failures, by his depression, and feeling like he had no value because of his perceived failures that he begins to doubt the very words of God himself. But the next part of the verse gives us the key to overcoming. In verse two, it says, and the Lord said, take a heifer with thee and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord. And it was in that moment that Saul realized the key to overcoming was in his sacrifice. You see, he remembered the story of his mother in the temple, praying and interceding and consecrating herself for a promise. He remembers that after he is born, his mother made a sacrifice to God on his behalf because of the work that he had done. And he begins to remember the countless battles that he had won because he had offered a sacrifice unto God. This morning, the sum of your value is found in the addition of your sacrifices. The sum of your value is found in the addition of your sacrifices. The more you sacrifice, the more value you have in God. The less you sacrifice for the kingdom of God, the less value and fulfillment you'll have in your life. I've seen it. I've felt it. The more you sacrifice to God, the more value you retain in your life because God's economy is not like man's economy. God's economy doesn't put a dollar value on you because of the things that you did or didn't do. 
Because in God's economy, to gain life, we must love. To receive, we must give. And to be great, we must serve. And so this morning, maybe you're asking yourself, I hear you, but why am I valuable? Why am I valuable? In a study of Ephesians chapter one, the author and pastor John Maxwell points out three answers to this question. Ephesians chapter one and verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Verse four, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So the answer, why am I valuable? Because of who you are. Because of whose you are. Because you are his. Jesus chose you before the foundation of the world. You are valuable because of who you are. We are made in his likeness and we will one day abide with him. And that is why we have value. Heaven and earth will pass away and all things will become new. These relics, they will pass away. They don't have the value that you have. You have value because of who you are. Because of whose you are, because you were created in the likeness of God, and you will one day abide with him. And the second reason you are valuable is because of what you cost. You see, I could find some books that have been touched by a very, very important person. I could find a painting that maybe looks like I wouldn't care for it, but it was painted by Van Gogh. And I would pay, perhaps pay a certain cost for it. I would get it and think it's valuable because of how much it costs, because of who it's from. And so is the same with you this morning. You are valuable because of what you cost. Ephesians 1.5 says, Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleases of his will. Jesus adopted us to himself through the work of Calvary, which came at a very, very high price. 1 Corinthians 6 says, For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So you are valuable because of who you are, and you are valuable because of what you cost. And this morning, you are valuable because of what you can become. Ephesians 1 and 11 says, in him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. God has plans for you. God has plans for you to prosper. God has an inheritance for you. And so you are, you are valuable because of what you can inherit. You are valuable because of what you can become in Jesus. You see, when I am filled with the Holy Ghost and have his name applied to my life, I am no longer Jacob Dunning. I, my name no longer has any value or importance. My name is now tied and adopted into Jesus Christ, into his kinship, 
And my value goes from down here to up here because of who I am, because of whose I am, because of what I cost and because of what I can become. And this morning, as I draw to a close, I want to tell you that you are more valuable than you think you are. You have more value than you think you have. Maybe you think that you have been so, so tripped up by the things of your past. You have been so consumed by the things that you haven't done or the things that you have done. But you still have value. I think about the woman at the well. A woman who lived a promiscuous life, who had been used in in, in terrible ways, who had a certain reputation, who had done things. And Jesus comes to the well and tells her that she still has value. She becomes one of the first people to know that Jesus is God manifested in the flesh. She becomes the first person to hear the words, I am Because she still had value. She still had purpose and she still had worth. To society, she was was not valuable. She was worthless. But to Jesus, she had value. There was a reason that she was on the outskirts of town at a well with no one around. Because she was not accepted. She was not allowed to be near the people who were holy. And because of her lifestyle, she thought that I am not valuable. But Jesus says, you still have value. You may have lost time in your life. You may have lost your place in life. You may have lost your environment in your life, but you have not lost value. As T.D. Jakes once said, a dime is worth as much on the floor. A dime is worth as much on the floor. A piece of silver is worth as much up here as it is down here. A piece of gold is as worth as much up there as it is down there. You see, your place and your location does not determine your value. Your value has already been determined for you. But it's time that we recognize what our value is and not not be caught up in where we're placed not be caught up in what we've, what our circumstances are, but understand that we have value because of who we are in Christ. Your value does not change based on your present location, whether you're on a mountain or stuck in a valley. A valley. You have value. <coughs> whether you're in the land of promise or wandering on the backside of a desert, you still have value. Whether your peers think less of you because of the things that you've said or the things that you've done, you still have value. Whether you get recognition, recognition, whether you get a, a million likes on Facebook or one like on Facebook, you still have value. Whether you've been in church for 50 years or 50 minutes this morning, you still have value. Even if you've walked away from God for decades, you still have value. What may look out of date and worthless to the world is valuable in the eyes of God. You may seem like you're irrelevant and like you're a relic on a shelf, but God wants you to dust yourself off 
and show, he wants to show you the value that you have again. And understand that your value is not in what you do, but it's in what God does through you. Because I serve a God who is above all, in all, and through all. And when you sacrifice your will to his, he begins to take what seems worthless and begins to add value to your life. You still have value. You still have value. God has called you to walk in the callings that he has placed in your life. He has called you to use the gifts that he has given you. He has called you to reach the people in your life that only you can reach. He didn't call Hagar. He called Sarah. He didn't call another prophet to anoint the king. He called Samuel. He has called you and he has given you value. So what will you do this morning? What do we do We understand this, so what do we do this morning? Paul encourages us. He says, I therefore, in Ephesians 4, 1, the prisoner of the Lord. Paul is a prisoner. He says, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Walk worthy of the calling. God will qualify you. It's been said that God does not call the qualified, but he qualifies the called. And so Paul says to stand up and to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Not with your head down, with no value, but with understanding that you are a child of God formed in his likeness and empowered with his spirit to be more than what the world has to offer. And so as we stand this morning, we will find no fulfillment unless we are completing the work which God has called us to do. We will find no fulfillment in the things of the world. We will only find fulfillment in what God has called us to be. My last scripture, Acts chapter 20 and verse 24 says, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. The author says, my life is worth nothing unless I finish the work that you have called me to do. And so I believe there are some people in the house this morning that perhaps you feel like a relic, perhaps you feel like you have no value anymore, that you are worth pennies. But God is telling you this morning and God is encouraging you that you still have value. And so we're gonna sing, we're gonna sing a song and we're gonna open these altars this morning. Whether you are on the mountaintop or you're in the valley, God wants to increase your value this morning. God wants to take you to new heights and to new places. And so if you will, we're going to open these altars. You can come and pray. We can pray with you. Let's find a place before God this morning.
So you sacrificed your life So I could be free So I could be free